We have come to the fourth and final Advent reflection from the prophecy of Isaiah, expressed in these words from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 10. Then Yahweh again spoke to Ahaz, Ask for yourself a sign from Yahweh your God. Make it as deep as Sheol, or as high as the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And so he said, Listen now, house of David, is it too small a matter for you to weary men that you will weary even my God? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, a virgin pregnant and going to give birth to a son, and she shall call his name Emmanuel. In exploring this ancient biblical text, I want us to consider three things. First, a sign. It appears twice in Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 11, ask for a sign. And then in verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for sign, art, is used with several strands of meaning. Here in Isaiah 7, a sign is a future pledge in the face of current challenging circumstances. What were these circumstances? In 734 BC, the remnant kingdom of Judah, headed by King Ahaz, was up against it. In the face of Assyrian menace, two kingdoms, Syria and Israel, were seeking to build an anti-Assyrian alliance to try and halt the military juggernaut. But King Ahaz would not buy into this deal, a triple alliance of Syria, Israel and Judah. And hence, Syria and Israel sought for regime change in Judah. The goal was to topple King Ahaz and put a puppet king in his place. The stakes were high in 734. Why fuss about what happened to Ahaz? Why the offer of a sign and the imposition of a sign by God? Why, indeed? Yahweh's reputation was at stake. At the centre of Isaiah 7 is God's promise made to David, king of Judah, 200 years before. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. You'll find that in the second book of Samuel, chapter 7 and verse 16. One commentator has observed that in the making of his promise to David, the whole flow of world history hinges on the line of kings in a tiny Middle Eastern kingdom. What an extraordinary observation. So, if Ahaz fails or falls, either to Assyrian aggression or Assyrian-Israelite pargrab, God's promise to David proves false. His word is untrue. High stakes indeed. A name. King Ahaz's name in Hebrew means he has grasped. It is a shortened form of his full name, Jehoahaz, meaning he has grasped God. It's very deeply symbolic meaning. 
But Ahaz's refusal to ask God for a sign, a tangible token of God's power, is a mark of his faithlessness. He did not live up to his name. We read in the records of the kings of Judah in the second book of Kings and the second book of Chronicles in the Old Testament that Ahaz had already appealed to Tilglath-Pileser, emperor of Assyria, for protection. Who needs Yahweh and a sign when you can bribe the neighbourhood bully with protection money? But this just wasn't just a one-off misjudgment by Ahaz. His reign was characterised by faithlessness and hypocrisy. He sacrificed one of his own sons. He promoted pagan worship in the land. He erected an Assyrian altar in the temple of God at Jerusalem. What's in a name? The second name to feature in Isaiah 7 is that of Emmanuel, which in Hebrew means with us is God or God is with us. The name Emmanuel is only found here in verses 8 and 14 and in the New Testament in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 23. The visible sign of a Yahweh's promise is a virgin pregnant with child who is going to give birth to a son and she shall call his name Emmanuel. The kernel of this promise is that the line and dynasty of David is going to continue beyond Ahaz. God's intervention means that a virgin will conceive and a miracle child will be born, a descendant of David. In contrast to Ahaz's unbelief, Emmanuel will come at some future point and reverse Judah's fortunes and the fortunes of God's people. The name Emmanuel is an antidote to all the fear of God's people in every age, then as as now. The rulers and movers and shakers of our own age can so easily seduce our faith and reduce our confidence in God's mere word. And lastly, thirdly, a destiny. In the New Testament accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel reappears, and a virgin who supernaturally gives birth to a son, the Son of God. In Matthew chapter 1, the angel of the Lord unfolds the plans and purposes of God to a carpenter of the family of David, Joseph of Nazareth. He is to take Mary to be his wife. And she is to give birth to a son conceived by the Holy Spirit. This was to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy 700 years before Emmanuel, God with us. Joseph's acceptance and obedience to the angel's message stands in stark contrast to King Ahaz. Here in Isaiah chapter 7 is a king who was called to trust in God's word in the face of great peril, and to receive a sign, a blank check offer from God. But he didn't. Whereas, in Matthew chapter 1, here is a carpenter called to lose everything and to obey God, because God is fulfilling scripture, keeping his promises, securing destiny. Joseph was everything Ahaz was not. And in Jesus, we have 
Emmanuel, God with us. No longer distant from us, the unseen God becomes visible. The transcendent God becomes imminent with us, walks in our shoes, as it were. It's so crucial for us to grasp our destiny and the destiny of the world in Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. I close and wish you a joyful and peaceful Christmas with words of Martin Luther, the German reformer, preached in a Christmas sermon nearly 500 years ago. He writes, Reason and will would ascend and seek above, but if you would have joy, bend yourself down to this place. There you will find that boy given for you, who is your creator, lying in a manger. I will stay with that boy as he sucks, is washed and dies. There is no joy but in this boy. Take him away and you face the majesty which terrifies. I know no God but this one lying in the manger.